0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm so glad you're here. We have a lot to cover today, and we're going to be talking about something that I probably think most of you have heard about, which is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. So from now on, we'll call it MBTI for short. Um, A lot of us have heard about it. We know that it consists of four letters. Uh, Maybe we've taken a free online version. But... We're really here to talk today about how it's used and why it's important. And I'm so excited about my guest today. My guest is Patrick Kerwin. And Patrick is an MBTI master practitioner with over 25 years of experience, specifically in MBTI, helping leaders and teams improve their effectiveness through really understanding the personality differences that show up. And I know we've all experienced this, both at work and in our home life. We've come in contact with people that just either don't seem to get us, or we just have a really hard time understanding where they're coming from. The truth is, the MBTI assessment can actually really help us as team members, as leaders, as parents, really understand how people communicate, why they communicate but more so help us understand and develop a deeper personal awareness of ourselves and how we show up. So some of the benefits of using the Myers-Briggs, both individually and as teams, is one, it's really great as a leader to help you assemble a team. You can identify how people communicate, you can understand the communication differences on the team, and you can ensure that a team is built up of diversity of thought and personality, which is essential in today's workplace. The other benefit is that it just helps us communicate better. It helps us know what other people prefer, how they wanna be communicated with, and it really helps us understand how we are as communicators, so we can help bridge that gap. And that goes in every facet of your life, at work, at home, with your spouse, with your kids, maybe in the volunteer organization that you're a member of. It helps in every aspect. Also, the MBTI can really help reduce conflict. So if you really think about it, people learn and they process information completely differently. And this is where communication gaps exist. Whether you're assembling a team, whether you're working with your kids at home, you know, we really want to understand and take into account these differences and help build on people's strengths. We as leaders, no matter where you're leading, it's our role to bring out the best in people. And the MBTI can absolutely help with that. And also in terms of leadership, as I mentioned, being a good leader is having very strong personal awareness. We talked about this in last week's episode around emotional intelligence and it definitely applies here too. Being a leader in all aspects of your life, having that deep personal awareness is vital to being successful. So if you're somebody who is looking to be a better leader, who is looking to communicate better with your spouse or your partner, your kids, or if you are just looking to have a greater understanding of how you communicate and how you process information, reach out to me. I am certified in MBTI and would love to help you or your team have more connected communication. So let's dive in with Patrick, the expert in MBTI, and let's talk about how the MBTI can help improve your life by understanding your personality and others' personalities as well. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: You are so welcome. It was an easy yes for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was super glad that you said yes. You know, uh, I'll talk a little bit about how we met. So we actually met because you were my trainer for MBTI, which is short for Myers-Briggs. And I had such an amazing experience in the certification program with you. And I just... In fact, I had so much admiration for you. I went back for another second training with you in San Diego, and I just gained so much from that experience, and it was so depthful, and it just armed me as a coach with such valuable tools. And so when I was thinking about topics for the podcast, I really thought this would be such a valuable topic for my listeners to hear and no less hear it from the experts. So thank you for being on. Thank you. So I'm curious if you could just, you know, share with my listeners a little bit about your background, as well as how you got into having a career that specializes in personality types.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a strange career. It was kind of a very circuitous route to get here. So my first life was in business. So I have an MBA and I worked in the finance world for a while. And when I worked in finance, people kept saying, You know you're such a people person like you should go into something like counseling or something so after a few years and i thought all right let me let me look at that so i did a career transition and went back to graduate school and did my work in career counseling and then started a private practice which i don't do anymore but you know doing career counseling and i did that for about 10 years and then People in that field kept saying, you're such a business person. You know. And I thought, hey, <laughs> you know, where is the sweet spot? So about 15 years ago, I kind of put the two together and found that intersection between you know, the business world and people's personalities and their counseling side behind how people work together every single day. So it's kind of this great intersection of those two worlds. I got introduced to the Myers-Briggs when I was doing my graduate work in career counseling. So that was kind of the, the very first, uh, the start of the whole story.
0: Yeah. And then so when you got introduced to the to the work, where did you go from there? So how did you become certified and how did you become um, basically a trainer in in Myers-Briggs?
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, to be honest with you, I didn't like the Myers-Briggs when I was introduced to it in graduate school. I thought, okay, just what we don't need is one more way to put people in boxes and just to categorize people. So I was actually a little resistant to the Myers-Briggs. I started using it though as a counselor and i started figuring out that people were having some pretty big realizations about themselves and about what that meant for how they're going to work together and so i started using it just regularly doing counseling i was teaching classes using the myers-briggs and then what happened is some of my clients said hey can you work with my team so then i started working with teams and then that kind of took on a life of its own and then i got very specialized in the myers-briggs and got into just beyond the veneer of the tool, but really got into things like you know the construction of the tool and its reliability and validity, which then led me to you know doing more kind of uh, intense work with the Myers Briggs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you are the definitely the go-to expert, which is why I'm having you on today because uh, uh, you do you know so much, and and you've also written a book about true type tales. And so can you tell us a little bit about the background of the book and then we'll dive into all everything about Myers Briggs?
1: Yeah, so the book is the result of just working with the Myers Briggs for now over 25 years and just hearing stories from people about how they use personality or how it's showed up in their life or their interactions. So I just started jotting things down because in a training, you know, I think, oh, I wanna make sure and tell that story about that person and, and how they use this at work. So I started jotting down these stories. And before I knew it, I had, a whole notebook full of stories. And then people in workshops always say, your stories are so good, so you should write a book. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I wrote this book and put together kind of a compendium of all these different stories that illustrate the different parts of the Myers-Briggs and again, how they kind of show up in people's real lives.
0: Yeah. And and I will tell you, I've read the book and I've also obviously sat through your certification program and it It is the thing I think that differentiates you from other trainers is that your stories are so powerful. And I'm I love stories so much. And I think what you do is you it's that nice intersection between information and storytelling and applicability and you do such a great job of really bringing the lessons home by telling the stories that you do. So I highly recommend the book. I'll have the information in the show notes for people um, on how they can purchase that. And it's called True Type Tales, Real Stories About the Power of Personality Type in Everyday Life. So yeah, we will we will definitely reference that in the show notes. So you know, we're talking about Myers-Briggs. So can you give us a background? What is Myers-Briggs? And if you could just... Um, give us some, maybe a little bit of history about it and um, how you use it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So the Myers-Briggs, so MBTI is based in the work of Carl Jung. And Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist. And in the early 1920s, he was interested in studying people's personalities. Uh, He wasn't interested in the diagnostic part of personality, so looking at what was normal or abnormal or healthy or unhealthy. He was just trying to figure out, was there a system to describe why people are different just in their everyday interactions? So he came up with this theory to explain people's personalities, and it's called Psychological Types. And he wrote a book called Psychological Types, about 600 pages. And what he said, in essence, is that each of us is hardwired. We come into the world predisposed to do things in certain ways. And because of that predisposition, we end up behaving in certain ways. So it's kind of like when you know, people talk about their kids and they say, well, I have these two kids and I brought both of these kids into the world and they could not be more different. You know, how <laughs> yes. can that be? So this thing that seems actually quite random out in the world and you look at people and think, gosh, it's just it's so hard to explain. He said, actually, it's very consistent and it's very orderly. Now the thing about Jung is that his work was very academic and very conceptual. So Jung was very interested in the idea. He wasn't so interested in the application of things. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't very user-friendly. So it's not like we could just hand out copies of psychological type and say, read this and you know you'd be good to go. All right. So what happened over here in the US is his theory was elaborated on. And this is kind of a cool part of the story that not a lot of people know about. So when I do workshops on the Myers-Briggs, I'll often ask people, "Um, how many of you think Myers and Briggs were two men? And usually a lot of hands go up in the room. And the surprise is actually the Myers-Briggs was created by two women. It was created by Catherine Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Myers. And Catherine Briggs had no training in psychology, but she loved reading and she liked reading biographies in particular. And she noticed... Patterns in people's personalities as she was reading these biographies, so she started to put together her own theory of personalities and came up with four different personality types on her own. And then in 1923, Carl Jung publishes Psychological Types in English, and she gets a hold of it and reads it, which is no easy task. (laughs) Right, Jung is not like it's not like beach reading. Okay, he's very abstract. But she reads it and discovers that he's put together a theory that matched what she was doing on her own. It was just a lot more robust because he had had more time to work on it. Mm -hmm. And the problem was it wasn't very practical. And she thought there was so much power in this information, she wanted to take it out to the world. So she got her daughter, Isabel Myers, into the act. And the two of them created the very first version of the Myers-Briggs back in 1943. Um, that's not the version that's used today. So one of the cool things about the Myers-Briggs is it's kind of this living, breathing tool that continuously gets updated. So the most recent version just came out in uh, late 2018, and it was the items were tested on an international sample of people to make sure that this thing works around the world. So we continue to test it on like larger and larger samples. Uh, so it's used in so many different ways. My primary way of using it is doing a lot of leadership development work. Uh, around the Myers-Briggs and doing a lot of team building with the Myers-Briggs. And then I do some special applications of type around things like type and change, type and stress, and topics like that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing the background of it. I, I think it's so interesting um, kind of how we got here and how they were both working separately and independently. And then the information was just really validated for um, for Myers-Briggs. Um so Patrick, can you please share the four MBTI preference pairs and what they mean? So if you could just give us an overview of them.
1: Sure. Yeah, so the Myers-Briggs looks at four aspects of your personality. You know, it doesn't describe everything about who you are. Sometimes people expect it to describe every nook and cranny of your personality, and it doesn't do that. But it looks at four aspects of who you are. And each of those aspects has two opposite preferences, kind of like being left-handed or right-handed. Do You just have a preference for one or the other. And the first one looks at what energizes you most naturally. And the two preferences associated with that one are extroversion and introversion. And the Myers-Briggs uses letters for shorthand. So that's the E and the I. And so people, the preference for E are people that usually say they like to talk things out. They get a lot of energy as they interact with the world around them. And people, the preference for I are people that usually say they get energized by focusing inward and that they like to kind of think things through before they actually engage with the outer world. So that's the first aspect. Mm -hmm. Second aspect is how you take in information. And there are two preferences on that one. There's sensing and intuition. And this one is the S for sensing. And then we use N for intuition because we used our I for introversion. Okay? Right, right, And so people with the preference for sensing usually like to take information uh, based on using their senses. So they like to see the information. They like to touch it. They want to hear it. They want it to be practical. They want it to be real. They want it to be proven. And they want to spend actually a lot of time focusing on that kind of information. And people with a preference for intuition are people that usually say when they're gathering information, they tend to look at the connections, the patterns, the meanings in the information they're taking in. Um, something I should mention about these preferences is that it's not a zero-sum game kind of format. So, like back to E and I. If you have a preference for extroversion, it doesn't mean that you never introvert or that you don't like your downtime. And if you have a preference for introversion, it doesn't mean that you can't interact with others or you don't enjoy that. It's just saying which one it pulls you the most, what's kind of your home base. And Jung was actually really clear, for example, with E and I and said, if you have a preference for E, You need to spend time introverting. You need to to kind of pull yourself away. And if you have a preference for I, you need to spend some time with your outer world, but you still have to have a place to start from. And that's what the Myers-Briggs is saying. Same thing with sensing intuition. You know, if you like to take things in in a factual way, focusing on the present, it doesn't mean you don't think about what things mean or that you can't think about the future. It just says you want to get really grounded in what is before you think about what could be. And the flip side is true for intuition. They have a preference for N. Of course, you can look at facts and specifics and experience, but your mind will just get pulled very naturally to what those things mean, okay? Um, the third aspect of personality looks at how you make decisions, and the two preferences there are thinking and feeling, uh, T and F, mm-hmm. kind of loaded words. Uh, you know, Thinking <laughs> doesn't mean you don't have feelings or that you don't care about people, but it does mean that people with a preference for T uh, usually like to make objective decisions, and uh, kind of keep themselves out of a decision when they're analyzing it so they don't put themselves right in it to see how they feel about it. They, they keep this objective perspective. People with preference for F tend to make decisions based on how people might feel about something, how they feel about something. So they kind of put themselves right in the situation to see how they might experience it or how other people might experience it. So again, with TNF, you're going to use both. But if you have a preference for T, your first place to go will be looking at logic, objectivity. And then usually you'll say, wait a minute, I better think about people here as well. That's part of the equation. If you have a preference for F, kind of the flip, you'll start off by thinking, how can I create this harmonious decision? How, are people, how can I create a decision that people will feel good about, that I'll feel good about? And then you would say, well, you know, I better take a step back and look at this objectively too to make sure I'm not missing something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last aspect looks at how you organize your life. And the two preferences there are judging and perceiving. That's J and P. And judging doesn't mean judgmental, but it does mean judging in terms of judging something to finish it. So people with the preference for J usually like to put a plan in place. They want to execute the plan the way they designed it. They want to finish whatever they're working on and then be done with it. So they usually say they don't like a lot of last-minute surprises, a lot of last-minute changes. And people with a preference for P, the perceiving, uh, those are people that will say they do get things done, but they enjoy seeing uh, what unfolds along the way. They like to go with the flow as they're working on things. And they usually say they don't mind a lot of last minute changes and surprises, and that can be kind of energizing for them when a lot comes together at the very end.
0: Now, that's great. Thank you for going over the preference pairs. I really appreciate it and helping my audience understand uh, what it really means. So obviously, you know, our conversation is really revolving around leadership development, um, using this in organizations, helping. And not only that, I mean, my show is very holistic around even parenting and, yeah. um, you know, showing up how you lead your life in every aspect of your life. And so, you know, can you, but from a leadership perspective, can you share with us, um, which you do so eloquently in your book, mm-hmm. can you share with us some stories potentially I don't necessarily know that if if you want to, you can go through each preference pair, but just maybe a couple of stories on how the types misinterpret information. Because mm-hmm. I thought that was so fascinating in your book when I was reading from my personality type, understanding another personality's type. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's how they approach things or that's how they think about things. And I'll just also say that when we were in the certification training in your group so i came from an organization and a unit within the organization where we were all extroverts i was in sales and so we were dealing with all extroverts and in your training your training that i attended i think there were 3 of us that were extroverts and yeah. the rest of the group were introverts and i was so blown away by that experience because i literally had i feel like i'm uh, very accepting and I, I feel like i'm very attuned with other people and how they operate and i'm very sensitive and caring and i literally came away walking away with so much uh, around how um specifically introverts and i'm and i'm just choosing that as an example but i have really had no idea how other people process information so differently than i do and it really opened my eyes and it really for me personally enabled me to have a much clearer lens and a different perspective on how to really respect and be sensitive, um, to be inclusive of other people who don't think like I do, who don't process information like I do. And it was really powerful. So if you could kind of maybe share a couple stories about the misinterpretations that happen specifically on Teams, that would be really helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you bring up, I think, one of the most important ones, which is the extroversion, introversion, the E and I, uh, because that's the communication dichotomy. So when you're talking about people working together on teams, you're talking about leading teams, uh, that is the fundamental dichotomy in the Myers-Briggs. And there are so many judgments that go back and forth across all the different letters in the Myers-Briggs, but that one in particular. So people with a preference for E will oftentimes look at I's as being disengaged, uh, not interested, Withholding, uh, hmm. sometimes passive aggressive because they don't say something quickly, but they'll bring something up later. Right? And then eyes will look at ease and say, you know, they're domineering, they can't get their thoughts together. Um, you know they are too controlling. There's no, they don't create space for people, and so there's all this kind of back and forth that happens, until I think you introduce type, and if people are open to the understanding like you were, then they start to say, you know, those things aren't necessarily true, but what is true is the person is just quite different from um, how I am, and so when I work with teams and leaders, this is one of the, I think the ones they they talk about the most and being able to apply most easily is thinking about when they're leading meetings, if you have a preference for E, and really thinking about what are your assumptions. Oftentimes for an E, the assumption is if you have something to say, you just say it. Right? right. And then someone <laughs> doesn't say anything right away and you think, all right, we're gonna move on because you don't have anything to say. And then you find out that the person actually had a lot to say, but they just couldn't kind of merge into the conversation. And so this is when E start to say, hey, you know, actually I'm checking in with people in a meeting, or I'm just creating some quiet time in the meeting for people to collect their thoughts, which for ease is really hard because it seems like, you know, oh my gosh, it's like this uncomfortable pause. But for introverts, a lot of times it's a very welcome kind of break from a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. Flip side is if you have a preference for I and you're leading a team or you're part of a team, you have to be careful that people don't look at you as being disengaged or withholding or things like that. So, eyes that I've worked with will say, you know, in a meeting, I will actually say, like, oh, I agree with that. Where normally they wouldn't think that was necessary because in their heads are thinking, okay, that's fine. But then people are looking at them like, do you agree? Do you not agree? I can't get a read for where you are. Because with ease, you get a lot of kind of non or you get verbal cues, you know, right? They're like, oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yes, oh, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> and with eyes you don't always get, you just did it. And with <laughs> I'm I-
0: sitting here nodding my head.
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. with eyes you don't always get that. So for introverts, making a, an effort to actually say, I agree. I need more time, whatever it is. And those are just some really simple things that actually can be transformational for leaders on teams and really to get the best input from everybody on the team. Yeah. Um oh, good.
0: No, I, I I love that you share that. And and I, I do think that is probably the biggest mis there are so many misconceptions between E's and I's. And I know one thing that I specifically took from the training was as a leader. You know, I'm I'm okay if there's a meeting in ten minutes, and you know I feel prepped, I feel ready to go. I'm good. Um, I really gained a sensitivity for understanding that other people process information differently. That it's important to send out a pre-read, potentially, or an agenda for the meeting. Some things that I don't necessarily need, but other people want to feel. You know that they want to have time to process that information. They want to have time to become prepared. And I would have never thought about that, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so that was something that I definitely gained from the meeting as well. And I've incorporated into the curriculum and the training and the coaching that I do with people to give them time to process information.
1: No, it's great because people have reference for I, it's not the, an inability to talk right, or share thoughts. It is a desire to be prepared. And so the more information a person with a preference for introversion gets ahead of time, the more they can prepare themselves, which means the more quickly they will talk. But it's about having something sprung on them, especially if it's out of their area of expertise um, or it's you know something new, that they really want time to to reflect on that and process that. And the more time you give people to do that, the more quickly they'll speak up in a meeting. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm.
0: And so what do you say about some misconceptions uh, or I, I would say judgments, right? So you you touched on a few of them. Is it true that introverts, quote unquote, don't like people, <laughs> that they don't like to be around people? That yeah. is, you know, definitely I know one of the misconceptions and you address it in your book. So I would just love for you to share that with my listeners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's two there because there's a flip side, right? So there's an assumption that Extroverts love being with people all the time, or no matter who the person is, they just really enjoy the company. And then there's the flip side of the introverts are misanthropes and they want to just work out of a closet. And it's so not true. And I think we've seen that a lot with you know, the the pandemic and people saying, oh, introverts must be so much, you know, more uh, happy working from home and being away from their team. And that's not always true because people with the preference for I will say they actually do enjoy their colleagues. They do enjoy working with people. They just want some downtime. They want some time to go think on their own. So it's for introverts, it's really about, you know, regulating how often you have to extrovert with people, but it's not about completely withdrawing. And that's what I talked about with this, what Jung talked about, is if you have a preference for I, it's not about introverting all the time, because then you'll become detached from the world. And he said you need to interact. And introverts will say not only they need to interact with other people, they actually enjoy it. They enjoy their friends and their family. It usually, however, is a pretty small circle, like some a few good friends, a few good co-workers that they really open up to. And like I said, the flip is, it's not like experts love in interaction. I mean, you have a preference for extroversion, I have a preference for extroversion. I do not enjoy every interaction I have with other people because there's more to it than that. Um, I also, and you don't either, love engaging all the time. There are times that I actually want and need to have time to reflect, and I need to do it to be creative, and uh, and that's part of the wiring. Just so it happens, like you know, a lot of the time I like being with people, but not all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, there are some around each of these uh, that I can go through. I mean, like sensing, intuition, mm-hmm. a big one there is that people with a preference for sensing will look at int- people with a preference for intuition who are very conceptual and possibilities focused as being unrealistic. You know, impractical dreamers, people with a preference for intuition. We'll look at sensing types who, you know, like to look at what is, what has been, what are the facts, and they'll look at them as being stuck, uh, stuck in the past, uh, kind of dream killers, you know, things like that. <laughs> and and then again, when they work together, you can get this really great uh, synergy that happens. So you can get someone who's focused on. You know, here are some things that are really important. Here are some facts that we really need to pay attention to. And you get the end with, here's some new ways to do things. But when people figure that out, I have a really recent example of a team I just worked with, and it's a VP of marketing. And she has a preference for sensing. And the president of her company has a preference for intuition. And he was driving her crazy because every meeting he would start off with a vision, you know, or his big idea. And she would be like, well, wait a minute. But. You know, here's some things that we need to think about. And then he would think that she couldn't focus on the big, you know, the big vision for the company. And when she figured this out, um, she started presenting ideas to him, starting off with, Here's how I see this affecting the vision of our company. Here's how I see this affecting the future of our company, and that would then engage him, and then she could kind of layer in all the sensing specifics that she wanted to, that were practicalities. But he could hear those because they were they were anchored in intuition, which is where he needed to start. Now. I just did a workshop for their executive team, and when he learned that she has a preference for sensing, he said it was almost like a you know that candy commercial where you got your peanut butter and my chocolate kind of thing. <laughs> oh, and when I talk to you, I need to talk to you and say, "Here's what I've done. Here's the research I've done. Here are the facts I have." And she's like, "That would be helpful." And yeah. I think that's a really important lesson in the Myers Briggs is it's not just a one way street. You know, it's not about one person. Uh, morphing themselves into somebody else so they can communicate with someone else. It's about both parties, understanding their own personalities, and then doing it really a dance to the middle. You know, I give a little, you give a little, and then we can actually get some stuff done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And can you go on to um, maybe talk about some of the uh, misinterpretations uh, between uh, TNF
1: yeah, yeah, and this one's a big one. And I mentioned earlier this thing about thinking, people you know have no feelings. This is what people often associate with thinking or that they don't care about people. And uh, oftentimes people think that people with a preference for F are emotional and that they can't make business decisions, which actually is just not true. It's just a different framework and different criteria for decision-making that you go to first. And so the, uh, the other one about thinking that I think is really important um, especially for women is that historically women, especially in the U.S. and in some other cultures have been socialized toward F, right? So to, you know, be nice, yeah. do all these things. And uh, then so T women often are described in not so flattering terms. So mm-hmm. you have a T man who's assertive and a go getter, and then you get a T woman who's aggressive right? right, and, um, and I think it's getting better. And the, the reason I say that is for two reasons. One is, I mentioned we, c- we continue to test the Myers-Briggs on these samples to make sure that it works. 20 years ago, when we gather a sample, it was in the US, and we looked at the percentage of T's and F's by binary gender. And so for women, uh, it was 25% T and 75% F. Now, we just did another sample, this international sample of which the U.S. was a part. And when you look at the U.S. percentages now for women, it's actually 40% T, 60% F. And I attribute that to more T women uh, being able to own it now. Because there's more endorsement of T women, and we also have more role models of T women mm-hmm. that, uh, that women have grown up with. So it's a, it's a really big uh, change, and I think it's, a, it's one that the societal message was so strong that it was hard for people to even access their true personality in the assessment when they, when they took it 20 years ago. Um, kind of a flip thing happens, though, for men with F because, you know, women who are Fs oftentimes are described as being sensitive and kind, and then uh, boys or men who are Fs are too soft, right, too things like that. And so um, it's, that, I think, is also getting better, though, and I think uh, with men, more men are able to own uh, their F. I, I based some of that on my nephew who has preference for F, and uh, I asked him about being a, a feeling... Uh, man. He's 22 now. And he was like, I love my F. I think it's awesome. So he doesn't have any sort of hangups about, you know, being too weak or too soft. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, because of the societal endorsement. But it's such a big one at work and when you're leading teams, because when people make decisions based on their preference for either T or F, it can backfire. So people, the preference for T can make a very objective decision that Fs will just think is brutal. And, you know, not thinking about the people and then people with preference for F will make a decision and T will say, you know, we're trying to run a business here, right? <laughs> right. And so, so, it's about, again, usually I think some of the, the, the hardest part of T and F is, or any of the dichotomies is when people use one at the exclusion of the other. And so, I think, you know, when T's bring in the F component, it's usually a great decision. When F's remember to bring in the T component, um, that's usually a well-balanced decision.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. For, and thank you for sharing that. And what about
1: um, J's and P's? Yeah, J's and P's. Uh, one more thing that just popped in my mind about T and F is I yeah. did a last year with this uh, medical group. And there were two women, one had a preference for T, one had a preference for F. And at the end of, end of the meeting, the T went to the F and apologized. She goes, I realize that when I talk to you or give you feedback, I go straight to everything that's wrong and everything that needs to be fixed because I'm not even thinking about our relationship because I think we're fine, you know, so I'm I'm not even thinking about that. And she said, and I realized like that feedback probably is really, seems blunt to you. And she goes, you know, the F said, you know, sometimes it is like a little hurtful. Like I walk away and I was like, God, I thought we were like buddies. Like, why are you railing on me? And so it was a really cool moment where the team was like, I get it. Like I I want to, I need to think about our relationship, because that's what you're thinking about, that we're at work, but we're also in a relationship.
0: And I think that's the power of this whole instrument, right, is just around gaining a sensitivity and an understanding for other people that have a different preference than you do. And, you know, in so many ways, especially with the topics we're talking about right now with around social justice and inclusivity and diversity it's really another version of inclus- inclusivity and diversity yeah. and really acceptance and honoring that on teams through personality
1: type. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, it's a way of decoding behaviors and it's another lens to use um, in understanding people. And just like any of the things that we you know just mentioned, there's no one of those lenses that does a great job of describing everything about it who a person is. But when you use all of them together, you start to get a better understanding of who a person is. Absolutely. And what about J's and P's? Yeah, J's and P's. No shortage of conflict (laughs) with J's and P's. The (laughs) handful J's and the spontaneous P's. And so, yeah, with with J's and P's, some of the misunderstandings are J's will look at P's and think that they're flaky, that they're not focused, that um, they're going to drop the ball because P's... Um, a lot of times won't start to really produce whatever it is they're working on until close to the deadline. They're working on it the whole time, but they just don't start to actually pull it together. And Jays can look at that and say, okay, you're not even working on it. Like, you know, hello, we've got a deadline, you know, get, you know, get, get to it. Right. And P's will look at Jays as being extremely, like micromanagers, controlling their process, wanting to tell them not only what needs to be done, but how it needs to be done, You know, monitoring, over-monitoring them when they're working on things, and so there's a lot of tension between Js and Ps. Um, There's a did a workshop last year and with a leader, and she talked about, you know, as a J, she loved to just always check in with her team and just say, you know, how are things going, and you know, we've got that deadline a week from Friday. You know, all those check-ins because she thought that was really helpful. To oh, God! <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. And you have that preference for B. I'm like, so oh when God! When you have a preference no. for B, you're like, why are you micromanaging me? Like, leave me oh, alone. <laughs> leave me alone. I've got it. You tell me a deadline. I'm aware of the deadline. I'll get it to you. And so, um, she was like, "This is going to be really hard for me." She goes, "But I'm actually stepping back from my staff. I'm going to actually give them the the deadline. Give them what they need to get the work done, and then I'm going to step away." And it's really hard because as a J, it's almost like this physical need to want to make sure things are going to get done.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, and the P has a much more relaxed style that's hard for sometimes Js to accept.
0: Yeah. And I think, th- I think the flip side of that, right, being a P myself, it, the flip side of that is, you know, if you had the information of knowing that your boss, your leader was a J as a P, you know, I would take the onus on myself of... Letting my Jay know, hey, just want to keep you updated on the project. You know, I know we have this four-week deadline. I'm going to check in with you week one, week two, week three, week four, just give you a status update to make her feel comfortable in her process. And, you know, that's where I think that meet-in-the-middle ground is of, you know, it's not about just being stuck in your corner while well, I'm a P., right? And, or I'm a J. And it, it really is about finding this balance of accommodating other people and, and being sensitive to what everyone needs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's exactly... I did a workshop a couple weeks ago and there was a guy on the team that it, he was the only P in a team of Js. This was that, ex, that exec team. Right. And and he said, you know what I do? It's exactly what you said. He goes, I just see him in the hallway. I'm like, yep, that thing that's due a week from Friday, I'm totally on it. And he said, because it just gets them off my back. And it relaxes them. And he goes, I can do that. And I said, that's exactly what we're asking is, is, you know, it means that people have to do things in ways that may seem kind of ridiculous, or they don't seem like they make a lot of sense to who you are. But then when you realize that it actually produces results, you're like, I can do that. That's like a pretty low ask, you know, for, for him to walk down the hall and say, I'm on it. How hard is that? Really easy.
0: Right, exactly yeah, so so, thank you for going um through each of the the pairs and talking about some of the misconceptions. I'd like to kind of flip that too and talk about the value of the MBTI and how the understanding how the understanding instead of the misconceptions how once a team really understands each other on a deeper level, um maybe if you could share a couple of success stories around teams that you've worked with, how how going through this process has really helped them either produce better results, you know, work together better as a team. Um, I know you have, I know you have a, a ton of them in your back pocket because you do this so often. So yeah. I would love, yeah, I would just love for you to share that with my audience.
1: Yeah, yeah, there are a couple. So one is uh, this another VP I worked with recently, and she was having difficulty communicating with someone on her team she's a VP of, of uh, marketing and she has it was having difficulty and uh, and then we did the team building with her team and it turns out that they are almost diametrically they are diametrically opposed personality types so the leader has preferences for introversion for sensing so the practical, the thinking so the objective and the J the planful and the person that she was having the interactions with, that we're challenging has a preference for E, so extroversion, N, some big picture, F, uh, feeling, you know, the, the relationship focused, and P, that go with the flow. And so these conversations were just going sideways. And that combination happens a lot in the workplace. Um, almost so many teams I work with have ISTJs and ENFPs working together. And there can be some real tension because they are the exact opposites. And so when we introduce the language of Type into the equation, uh, the leader, and I give her so much credit because she really put this to practice and started off by talking to this person about, you know, how do you feel about what's going on right now? And how do you feel about, and really let her express like what it felt for her. And then she said, well, let me tell you why we're doing it this way, which then she zoomed the camera out to the big picture and gave her kind of the big view and then she said you know what are your thoughts like where you know what are some options where do you see us going with this and that let her kind of be really flexible with her p and then also let the person talk it out with her extroversion so she really nailed all four of the person's type uh, preferences and it made such a difference in their interactions and, uh, and she has shared that with me as a, as a success story because she said it's really kind of transformed the way that they work together. And for her as an ISTJ, it just helps her get things done more quickly. And that's what she wants, right? For ISTJs, that personality type um, just likes things to be done quickly, accurately, promptly. And so if she has to do these extra five minutes of things to get something to happen, she'll totally do it. So, that's been a really kind of cool, very recent um, success story. And then, another one that I was thinking about is the same two combinations of letters. And it happened a couple of years ago with a physician that was in one of my physician leadership workshops. And on the second workshop, she came back and talked about how she had been using it. And she had also a lot of E and FPs on her team. But what was so interesting to me is that I could hear in her description how hard she was working. Hmm. to kind of turn herself inside out and meet her team where they were. And it was working, the, you know, the team members were getting what they wanted, but I could tell it was so much work for this ISTJ leader. And I just told her, I said, you know what, this is not all on you. Like, you know, because what happened is you came halfway and then your team's like, you're doing good, keep coming, you know, like, yeah, we want right. you all the way over. And I said, and that's not who you are. Your, your grounding is an ISTJ. They need to come over a little bit, so I said in you know your next meeting maybe talk to them about. Look, here's a little rule book for you. If you want to get what you want, here's the best way to interact with me. Here's where to start in conversations, and uh, and so that was a really good a big eye opener because again I gave her so much credit for trying so hard, but um, but that wasn't the full picture. Like the the team members had to kind of step up too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and so speaking of leaders, um, Patrick, is there Um, and this is kind of a trick question because I know the answer. Um, So is there a specific type that makes a better leader? So I know often I think there there can be that misconception. So I would love for you to address that.
1: Yeah. Uh, People often think there is a leader type. And what we know about leaders from a Myers-Briggs angle is that there are certain types that are attracted to leadership. So, there are 16 Myers-Briggs personality types when you combine one preference from each of the pairs. There are 16 different personality types, and some types are attracted to leadership. So, we go out and get leaders of uh, samples of leaders, we give them the Myers-Briggs, we see how they shake out among the 16 types. But the trick to that is, Um, That is attraction to leadership. That is not necessarily good leadership or effective leadership. All we know is that they are in a leadership role. We don't know if the reason they took the Myers-Briggs is because they were on a performance plan because they weren't (laughs) leading properly. You you just never know. So, leadership, uh, Myers-Briggs is one piece of it, but different industries um, attract certain types to them. So, if you look at a leader that would be in an engineering firm, that would probably be a very different kind of person than a leader in an arts Foundation, for example. So we just know different types are attracted to certain industries to start with, and so as a result, different types kind of go to the surface uh, as leaders in different organizations. Each of the sixteen types is represented in leadership, so that we also do know they're not distributed equally, of course, but they're all represented. The thing is, they just lead in different ways, mm-hmm. and each of those types just has some some great uh, benefits. And assets that they bring to leadership, and they also have some just very natural blind spots that they have with leadership. Sure,
0: sure. And so, as people are listening, they're probably wondering, well, how do I find out more about how you know wh- what I am, and how do I find out what my team members are? So. Um, what can you share with the listeners? Yeah, so
1: who, who am I, who am I, right? Yeah, so there are a couple of ways to do that. So to take the actual Myers-Briggs type indicator MBTI assessment, there are only really two ways to do it. And one way is to work with someone like you who's MBTI certified, and there are mm-hmm. people that are certified all around the world, and do the Myers Briggs with that person and then have an interpretation session of the Myers Briggs. Um, the other way is online, there's it's something called MBTIOnline.com, which is the only official version of the Myers-Briggs that's available online. There is a cost associated with it. If you just do MBTI tests, if you do a search online, you're going to get 5 million or probably 50 million different things that are going to come up. Uh, There are a lot of um, I will say nicely variations, not nicely knockoffs of the Myers Briggs. And you have to just be really careful of the free ones because one of the things about the MBTI is, you know, we have like 75 years of research and testing this on these huge samples of people to make sure it works. So you just have to be kind of a careful consumer as with anything online. Um, about other people, that's, you know, so the first question you use people are like, what about me? And then they're like, what about people I care about or work with? Right. And that gets tricky because Uh, People will start to very quickly type other people and say, oh, they're totally of this or totally of that. And it's understandable to get, you know, to be enthusiastic about the information. But also, one of the things we know about type is just everybody gets to own their own preferences and they have to be able to decide for themselves. And sometimes people show up in ways that don't match their type. Um, So you could get an extrovert who who shows up as an introvert because of a cultural message Mm -hmm. that kind of tempers their extroversion on the way out. And so then someone might size them up and say, oh, she's totally an introvert. When she's like, no, I'm actually an E. I just happened to grow up in a culture or a family system that prized introversion. So I just learned to do that as a habit. So I would say, you know, to start off, with a professional to to get your own personality and then to continue to work with that person in terms of how you can use this with people on your team or people in your life.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a good point, um, Patrick, uh, first of all, uh, around, you know, just doing it with a certified professional. I mean, obviously, that's why I got certified by an expert in the in this area by you, because um, I really value the I, I value the assessment. I value what it has to offer and um specifically the s- assessment that i took through the program the interpretive report i'm so obsessed with that because i had a huge awareness for myself and i'll just share really briefly obviously i'm an extrovert and but i had i had never really fully necessarily owned that because like i have a friend she could literally be on a business trip want to go away for the weekend go on another business trip the following week, go away the following weekend. And she would get upset with me sometimes because she would say, well, you know, we're going to Chicago. Why don't we go, you know, here afterwards and then we'll go to our next trip. And I always needed to go home. I always needed to kind of, you know, nest at home and to really go home first before I could go back out again. And it was actually through this that there's the preference pairs and then there's facets. And which I thought was amazing. It was a mind-blowing moment I had sitting in your training where I realized that I'm an intimate extrovert. And when I go to a party, I don't want to talk to all 200 people at the party. I will talk to maybe two or three people the entire night and have a debtful conversation. And so just being able to really um, dive into the nuance of that through the report and through you know, the actual Myers Briggs information was so powerful for me yeah. personally. And it gave me a grounding and words to basically describe myself that I had always felt, but I I couldn't always articulate. So yeah. I think there's so much power in that.
1: Yeah. What Natalie's describing is there are there are two uh versions of the forms of the Myers Briggs. There's a step one, which gives you your four letter personality type. Yep. And then the step two takes each of your preferences and looks at five Um, Components within those preferences. And it gives you a really individualized report that tells you why you might be unique among other people or different from other people who have your same letter, like, you know, you with another extrovert. Right. The other thing, even if you look at it from a step one perspective and just looking at the, you know, the eight letters and the 16 types is there are eight different kinds of extroverts and there are eight different kinds of introverts. And not all eight different kinds of extroverts are the same because of their other letters. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of show up differently as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also one thing I wanted to tag on too is you were talking about culture. So you were talking about cultural perspectives Mm -hmm. that also, can you kind of speak a little bit about how that plays out in company cultures as well, where maybe one type is really um, rewarded or honored and then maybe another type isn't and how you see that play out culturally with people and their personality types.
1: Yeah, definitely. The one I see probably most often is with, well, there's a couple actually. Uh, J and P is a huge one in a lot of companies where uh, J will be kind of the standard. You know, we have to have a plan, we have to execute the plan, we can't change the plan, you know, we have to stay planful, all those kinds of things. And so what happens is sometimes Ps that take the Myers Briggs, even if you give people really good instructions about try not to think about, you know, who you have to be at work, people respond with, well, I'm doing this for a team building. Um, I'm a P, but I don't want my boss to know I'm a P, so I'm going to report J. And then what often happens is once they get into the team building and they discover that, you know, P doesn't mean you drop the ball, you can't finish things, then they come back around and and own their preference for P in the workshop. But there can be that, you know, you better be a J or you're not going to be able to make it. Um, I actually saw that at a, I did this uh, leadership workshop for, I think it was like 180 Uh, Women leaders for this uh, company in LA, and the CEO of the company uh, introduced me and said in, in before the meeting that he had a preference for Jay, and I also gave the MBTI to his team because I wanted the leaders to know who the senior, you know, the senior senior leaders were. Right, the C level, and so they most of them reported Jay. And then what was funny is when he got up to introduce me, he said, oh, by the way, I'm really a P. And I looked at the faces of his direct reports, and I think they were all like, oh, well, maybe <laughs> I'm a P after all, you know, because they, <laughs> and it turned out that some of them were not Js at all, but they were thinking, okay, if the leader's a J, I better be a J.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I've seen kind of the flip happen. I'm going to give a different industry because we've been talking about corporate, but I've worked with a lot of counselors as well and done team building work with uh, counselors and in the counseling world, the premium is on F, right? So it's about Mm -hmm. people and really caring deeply and and feeling deeply about people. And then you get T's who are in the counseling field who kind of feel like they don't fit in really well, Uh, sometimes they're judged as, you know, not as it being cold in quotes things like that and Mm -hmm. can report f but then again in the workshop when they find out that t doesn't mean any of those things i just said they they can then own their t and say no but when i'm working with a student or a client i'm much more just in problem solving mode and that's just what my t means of course i care about the person and so there can be you know when people are taking it there's there's all these factors that can kind of pull them in directions that are really hard to fight off and and to get at your really your true core
0: yeah no, thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing all of this insight with my listeners. Um, it's so valuable. And so I guess I would just sum up by asking you what what is the one thing that you would want my audience to take away from today about the Myers Briggs and the value of it?
1: Um, one thing. Well, maybe I'll do two. Uh, you
0: can you can break the rules. You can do as many as you want. Okay, but. excellent.
1: I guess I would say one thing is to be true to your own personality, so that people don't end up trying to be who others need you to be or think you should be, and what role you should fit into. So I think have you have at least have your grounding in who you are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and this is why I wanted to do an and is and to be open to making little modifications along the way, which will then help you be more effective in whatever role you're in. And those are, I think those two are so important because sometimes people find out their types and they're like, well, okay, this is who I am and get in line. You know, I figured out I'm a, you know, these four letters and it doesn't work that way. So it's, it's really good to know this information as your home base, but then to say, okay, what do I need to tweak so I can really achieve whatever dreams and goals I have for myself?
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Patrick. And I also think, just to add on to that too, I think whether you're in a family environment, whether you're in a work environment, it really is around respecting and honoring everyone's individuality and their preferences and authentically who they are. And it's also knowing that all, you know, having a team whether it's a family or in business, right? Having a team with different diversity of thought and diversity of what they bring to the table and diversities of personalities is just one more way to make sure that you're getting a holistic perspective and you're really tapping into the most effective, the most productive, and really the highest potential way of of getting through life.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Research shows that actually, so no doubt.
0: Yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for your time and thanks for being here. And uh, I really appreciated your, your insight and your time and uh, just everything you have to offer. So thanks, Patrick.
1: You're so welcome. It was great fun. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself.